Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. Please uh, open your Bibles to you, to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. This is our last, uh, I promise, this is for real, our last uh, sermon on, this, on the topic of spiritual gifts. It took us a lot longer than, than I had originally um, thought. But I'm glad. I, I feel like this is, this is really good. It's really good for us to understand the spiritual gifts. It's really good for us to think about the spiritual gifts. In fact, I, I, there were a couple of places, not going to name names, but there were a couple of places where they asked me to skip the topic, right? Like I was, I was uh, uh, invited to speak. And I realized that, you know, my view is a little different from others. But uh, I think that that's, that tells me that sometimes we, because the topic can be a little bit um, confusing or it can be, you know, when you think about the gift of prophecy and gift of tongues, I realize that, that it could be a little scary for some people. And, uh, but I think that every believer, whether you believe in the continuation of all the gifts or you believe that some of the gifts are available today, but not all of them. I think every church, every believer should think about spiritual gifts. They are a really important topic. So let me uh, ask you a question. If you knew that the end of the world was happening within your lifetime, what would you do? If you, if like, if somehow, I know that this is not possible, but if somehow you were able to know for sure that the end of the world, that, well, but not the end of the world, basically that Jesus is coming back within your lifetime, what would you do? Share the gospel, yes. What else would you do? I, disciple other believers, yes. I was uh, preaching this message uh, uh, this morning at another church, and someone said, I would quit my job. And, uh, you know, I think they were, they were, Kind of joking, but uh, <laughs> um, well, guess what Peter says? Peter says that because the end of all things is at hand, you are supposed to show hospitality to strangers or to, to one another. In other words, Peter says that because the end of all things is at hand, because the end of the world is coming, you should have a bunch of people over in your house. And because the end of all things is at hand, you should love one another earnestly. And because the end of all things is at hands, at hand, you, sh- you should use the spiritual gift that you have received to serve one another. Let's uh, read 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So according to Peter, spiritual gifts are not just a side topic. Spiritual gifts are not just something that we, you know, think about it secondarily. But spiritual gifts is one of the things that we should be devoting ourselves as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus. 
as we wait for the return of the Lord Jesus, we should be sober-minded, self-controlled. We should love one another. We should show hospitality, and we should use our spiritual gifts to serve one another. So spiritual gifts are important. Spiritual gifts are not necessarily a, a, a secondary issue that, or an afterthought. Now, with that said, I do want to be clear that I don't think that spiritual gifts should be an issue for division. So, for example, here, uh, the, the leadership at Kaleo, we believe that all of the spiritual gifts are available today. But that doesn't mean that if you believe that some of them have ceased, like maybe the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, gift of healing, that doesn't mean that we're going to divide and say, okay, sorry, you can't be a part of this church because you're not filled with the Spirit or whatever. No, that's definitely not how we feel. Um, but we believe that knowing and practicing the spiritual gifts or exercising the spiritual gifts is really important because they are used for the building up of the church. So what I want to do today, what I want us to do is I want to go over the spiritual gifts. I want to talk about most, if not all, of the gifts that are listed in Scripture. And uh, just from, from the studying that I've been doing, several people have said it is very likely that there are even more spiritual gifts than the ones that are listed in Scripture. It is very likely that, that the lists in Scripture are not exhaustive. And, you know, I'm totally open to that, but because I don't want to just, like, invent my own spiritual gift, I want to go off of what we have in Scripture. Uh, one of the things that is a little complicated is that a lot of these gifts are simply mentioned in Scripture, but they are not described or, or really, there are no other passages where it says, and so-and-so had the spiritual gift of uh, discernment of spirits, and this is how he used it. So that's a, that makes it a little bit complicated. So what I want us to do is I want us to go over the, probably the start with the more difficult ones and, and tell you what I've been studying, tell you what I think they are, but I acknowledge that this is a difficult topic and I acknowledge that there's a chance that I don't have like, you know, exactly the right um, definition for, for these spiritual gifts. So I think the one, one of the spiritual gifts that is probably the most, uh, I don't know, con controversial, the one that people divide over the most is the spiritual gift of prophecy. And so this is the definition that I have. Prophecy is the human report of a revelation from God. The spiritual gift of prophecy is the human spoken report of a revelation from God. Now, something just to be clear here, I think that when we hear the word revelation, we can get a little bit scared, right? Because we say, oh, wait, hold on. But didn't God reveal himself to the prophet Isaiah? And didn't God reveal himself to Joel? And did God reveal himself to John at, at Patmos? And like he gave him like scriptural revelation, stuff that he had to write down and that, that made it into our Bibles. But I think that it is good for us to understand that the word revelation actually uh, not always means this kind of revelation that automatically has to be written down in scripture. So for example, in, in Philippians 3.15, Paul tells the Philippians, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So in other words, God, revelation is God disclosing to you something that you didn't know before. Revelation is God revealing to someone or disclosing to someone some, something that they would not be able to know otherwise. So for example, if God revealed his will to the Philippians, that doesn't mean that the Philippians then had to go to the back of their Bibles and write down the words that God revealed to them, right? It was simply God giving them understanding on a specific issue with Paul. And we have a few other examples of that. Um, but because we have a long list, I'm, I'm going to move on with this. But the gift of prophecy happens when God reveals something to us that we wouldn't otherwise be able to know and when we communicate it for the building up of the church, for the edification of the church. Remember, 
all of the spiritual gifts are supposed to be used for the building up of the church. Now, one of the things we need to remember is that not everyone has the gift of prophecy. We already saw that. Not everyone, or not everyone has all the gifts, or not one, or yeah, or not one person has. Okay, sorry. Not one person has all the gifts, and not all the church has one gift. Um, Paul commands the Corinthians to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then he says, especially that you may prophesy. And then remember that in 1 Corinthians 14, he tells them that the one who prophesies speaks to the people for the upbuilding and their encouragement and consolation. So we see that the gift of prophecy is used for the upbuilding of the church, for the encouragement of the, of the church. Now, this is not the only spiritual gift that has the, the possibility of encouraging. In fact, all of the spiritual gifts have the, the uh, are supposed to be used for the upbuilding of the church. So let me give you a couple of uh, maybe more like practical ideas of what this, what the spiritual gift of prophecy might look like. So let me give you a couple of, or, or an example from Charles Spurgeon, who was a, a you know, old Baptist preacher who himself considered he considered himself to be a cessationist. In other words, he didn't believe in the continuation of the gift of prophecy or speaking in tongues and all of that. But interestingly enough, in his autobiography, he records a couple of instances where he is preaching from the pulpit and then he points out at a person from on the pews and basically out of nowhere, like he himself recognizes that he didn't have any way to know it. He points to a person and says, hey, you, that... I can't remember if it was like a jacket or, or, a, or a wallet or something, but he used to say, that jacket that you're wearing is not yours. You stole it from someone. And the person later comes, comes to him and he's like, wow, like, you're right. Like, yes, I stole this jacket from someone. And so that, I think that would be a good example of the gift of prophecy in the sense that he received a revelation from God that he didn't have any other way of knowing. And, and then he... he spoke that uh, revelation that he received from God. I believe that uh, other examples of the gift of prophecy is maybe when you are gathered with your missional community or with, with your DNA group or with a group of believers and you're having a conversation and then out of the blue, you have this thought that is kind of put into your heart. And so please don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that every single time that you have a, a thought pop into your mind, it means that God has revealed himself to you. I think that we need to use discernment. We need to make sure that it is not our own heart. And so one way that we can maybe prevent uh, making the mistake of thinking that every single thing that comes into our minds is from God. Well, number one, we have to think through it biblically. We have to remember that God, the, the Spirit of God will never contradict the word that he inspired. And so if you have a thought in your mind and it's clearly not scriptural. Well, that's an easy way to know that it's not from God. But even if you find yourself and say, okay, I really feel like this is from God and I really feel like I should say this. Well, please never say, thus says the Lord, or this is the word of the Lord, or God told me to tell you this. I think a, a way better way to do it, a more humble way to do it, and a more careful way to do it would be, hey, can I, can I share something with you? I believe that this is from God, but you be the judge of that. Or let's, let's judge that together. And then you say it. That way you are, you know, allowing room for saying, hey, this could be my heart. This could be, you know, my own thought. But I do believe that this is coming from God and I want to share it with you. And so prophecy will never be new, um, new, uh, 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 Theology, right? Like, no, if someone comes to you with like a new doctrine, a new teaching, and says, Hey, God revealed this to me, no, please run away. There, is a, there are multiple cults that are based on new revelation. There's a, a cult that is actually uh, originally from Mexico called uh, the Light of the World. And so in their Bibles, they have. Uh, the Holy Bible and the epistles of the apostle Joaquin something something. I was like, okay, come on. Like, I, 
if if anyone claims to have new information, new revelation, new authoritative revelation from God, that is not the gift of prophecy. That is, in fact, false prophecy. That is false teaching, and it should be rebuked, and it should be. Um, you should flee from it if if rebuking that person is not is not a possibility. So remember, we we've talked about this prophecy. Bi- the biblical gift of prophecy will never be above the authority of the scriptures, and will never be above the authority of the the apostolic writings. In other words, the the gift of prophecy does not threaten the authority and the finality of scripture because. Even when the scripture was not completed, even when the, when the books of the Bible were still not put in this, in this form, in this canon, even when Paul was still writing parts of the New Testament and John was still writing parts of the New Testament, the people at the time were exercising the gift of prophecy. And at the time, Paul tells them, uh, if you go to, well, you don't have to go there. I'll just read it to you. In, in 1 Corinthians 14, remember that Paul says, um, If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So even Paul right there is saying, if you think that you are a prophet, you have to recognize that what I, Paul, am writing is actually from the Lord. So even then, the gift of prophecy was not threatening to the authority of the apostolic writings. So, if you think that you have the gift of prophecy, one way that you can use it is, again, when you are gathered with people, when you are having a one-on-one conversation, when you are in a small group, or even in a time within the church gathering where, where we have explicitly agreed that, that we're going to open up the time for, you know, for someone to share, for people to, to prophesy. Well, if you believe that God has revealed something to you, then in an orderly fashion, like we see in 1 Corinthians 14, after having examined your own heart, after having examined that what you have received or what you think you have received is actually from God, then you can share it. Again, with the attitude of saying, I believe this is from God, but let it be weighed by the church. Um, So a lot more that can be said about prophecy, and I'm happy to talk about it, but I, we need to move on because I already spent a lot more time than I was hoping to spend on one gift. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm happy to talk about uh, uh, anything that you may, you know, any questions that you may have, uh, you know, please reach out to me and, and we can talk about it more. The spiritual gift of tongues. Spiritual gift of tongues is actually, for me, is probably one of the most difficult ones. Number one, because... I don't have the spiritual gift of tongues. I've never spoken in tongues other than Spanish, but that's, that's my native language. Um, what we see from the Bible is that the spiritual gift of tongues in Acts 2, they were actually uh, known languages, right? They, the apostles and the people at Pentecost, they were speaking known languages. People from all over the world, they were there, and they were understanding what was being said in their own language. However, I don't believe that this, the, the spiritual gift of tongues is exclusively speaking in known languages. From 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, we get the hint, we get the indication, the, the, I guess we can assume from those passages that oftentimes the spiritual gift of tongues can be more of a spiritual language or, or even Paul says, I don't, some say that he is speaking in using hyperbole. And, and yes, I agree. In, the, in chapter 13, he is using hyperbole, but he does say, even if I spoke in the tongues of angels. So some people have said, well, maybe some of the, maybe the spiritual gift of tongues is actually speaking in angelic tongues or in whatever other spiritual tongue. Now, the reason why I think that is um, difficult for me is because Paul very clearly says, if there is no interpreter, then do not speak in tongues. Remain silent. And so I'm thinking, okay, so say that someone, you know, started speaking in tongues and say that we had an interpreter and it was interpreted. Well, then 
I guess my question is like, why did God decide to go through such a complicated uh, means to communicate something to the church? And to be honest with you, I don't know. Now, just looking at all of us here, I don't think we're gonna be. Have, I don't think we're gonna have to be dealing with these problems because uh, unless there's something you haven't told me, I don't think anyone here, any, no one here has claimed to have the spiritual gift of tongues. I do know people, and especially I'm thinking of one individual that I know who is really close to me, whom I really respect, who said that that he actually speaks in tongues, but he does it in his private devotional time. And that's what I understand that Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 14. He is saying, if you want to speak in tongues and there is no interpreter, you have to be silent because when you speak in tongues, it is, you are praying to God. You are praying to God in tongues. You are praying in your spirit. Like there is a chance that you, you yourself don't even understand what you're saying. So I believe that this is more of a devotional thing in which you are communicating to God directly and you're doing it through the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, does it mean that if you don't have the spiritual gift of tongues, then your prayer life is not as fiery and, and spiritual? No, I don't think so. I think you can have a perfectly uh, good fellowship and communion with God in your devotional time, even if you don't have the spiritual gift of tongues. Uh, but again, if you ever feel compelled to speak in tongues, you better make sure that there's someone to interpret. Um, Again, I don't see us having to deal with that uh, anytime soon, but we can, we can pray about it. Um, utterance of wisdom and utterance of knowledge. I believe that this is similar to prophecy in that it is God revealing information to you. It is God giving you special insight, special wisdom, special knowledge, understanding to, to comprehend something that you were otherwise not able to comprehend. So like the example that I gave you in Philippians, like the Philippians, Paul was telling them something and Paul was telling them, those of you who are mature are going to be able to understand this. But if not, God will reveal it to you. And so I think that this is a spiritual gift in which God reveals something to individuals, something that they didn't understand before. For example, in, in 2 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul is telling Timothy, God is going to help you understand this. God is going to reveal this to you. In Ephesians uh, chapter 2, Paul tells them, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and, help and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So I guess when someone understands the truths of the gospel and how those truths apply to someone's life, I think that is the gift of knowledge and wisdom. Now, spiritual gift of faith. I think that all believers should have faith. right? Otherwise, we wouldn't be believers, right? All of us have to have faith in the work of Jesus. All of us have to have faith in that he alone can save us. All of us should have faith in his return. All of us should have faith in our hope set in uh, the inheritance that we have. But I believe that the spiritual gift of faith is a special kind of faith in which you are given an assurance that something that is not necessarily promised in the scriptures is going to happen. So, for example, we are promised that the Lord Jesus is going to return. And we have faith about that. We are promised that um, we are promised that we have an inheritance and we have faith about that. We have, uh, you know, there are several promises in scripture that we believe, but perhaps this gift is a gift of faith in the sense that you have the assurance that God is going to respond one of your prayers. Say that you are praying for healing for someone and God has just given you 
the assurance that he is going to respond to that prayer. Or maybe uh, like George Mueller, who is a, a you know, very famous believer who, among other things, ran an orphanage. He had this gift of faith in which he, he prayed and he just knew that God was going to respond. God was going to provide for their needs. So people who have this gift, they should use it to serve others by praying for them, by asking people for their prayer requests, maybe keeping a journal with prayer requests and fervently bringing these petitions to the Lord. If you think that you have the spiritual gift of faith, or if you want to find out if you have the spiritual gift of faith, I recommend that you get a notebook or a journal and you start asking people for prayer requests and you start praying for them. These are the... Uh, commonly known prayer warriors of the church, the people that are always praying for others. So another means that, that this gift can be used is uh, we used to do this thing where before the Sunday gathering, a few people arrived early and they went to one of the classrooms and prayed together before the Sunday gathering. We also used to do this thing that during one of the songs, uh, people with prayer requests would go to the back and, and a couple of people would pray for them. If you think that you have the spiritual gift of, of faith or if you would like to be a part of this team of prayer, please come talk to me or to Jordan and we can, we can think a little bit more about what that would look like. Gift of healing. I believe that this gift is related in the sense that you feel the urge and the, the, the assurance that God is going to heal someone. And so the gift of healing basically is when you pray for someone and God miraculously heals this person. Now, one of the things that we need to remember is that God will not always heal the person. And that doesn't mean that we have failed. That doesn't mean that we don't have enough faith. That doesn't mean that we are in sin. It simply means that God in his sovereignty decided that it was going to be the most glorifying to him and the most beneficial for his people to not heal this person. If you believe that you have the spiritual gift of healing, or if you would like to Find out, again, one of the ways that you could use it is by praying for other people, specifically those who are sick. Um, one of the things that as I was studying this, I was actually convicted of, you could come along with the elders when the elders go pray for the sick. And what I was convicted about is that I don't feel like we've done a great job about going and praying for the sick. That's one of the, that's one of the responsibilities of the elders. The elders are supposed to go and pray for the sick. And if you feel like you have the gift of healing, then you can talk to us and say, hey, can we go pray for so-and-so who is sick? Now, just a, a quick, um, a, a, a little uh, thought about the gift of healing and the, work of and the working of miracles and some of these gifts. It seems that some of these gifts are more... Um, I think the technical term is residential in that once you have this gift, you, kinda, you can use it at, almost at will, like the gift of teaching. Like you can exercise this gift, you know, whenever you are prompted to. But it seems that some other spiritual gifts, like the gift of prophecy or the gift of healing or the, or the gift of miracle, is not something that you can just use at will, right? Like it's not that you see someone who is sick and be like, oh, okay, let me, let me pull out my spiritual gift and then kind of like, Miyagi style, just heal someone. No, that's, I don't think that's how the spiritual gift of healing or miracles works. I think that you are given a special measure of faith. You are perhaps given a sense of saying like, wow, I really, really feel compelled to pray for this person. I really feel like this person can be healed. So for example, like when Paul saw the, one of the, um, I think it was one of the beggars outside the temple, like he, or maybe it was Peter, but he saw that this man had enough faith to be healed. And so he prayed for that person and they were healed. Okay, working of miracles. Working of miracles is also interesting because I was actually seeing that maybe miracles is perhaps not the best translation for this word because in reality, the word is just the, the, the word power. So in other words, Paul is saying, when he talks about this gift, he's saying the working of power. Now, that, this, this doesn't mean that we don't believe in the, in the miraculous. We do believe in the miraculous. Grudem defines this as the less common kind of God's activity 
in which he arouses people, uh, people's awe and wonder and bears witness to himself. So this gift, I, again, this is not a gift that you can just like say, okay, I have this gift and boom, I'm going to use it. But I think it's, it's a gift in which God miraculously decides to show his power to others. Uh, so for some of the examples that we have is when, when Paul um, exercised the slave girl in Philippi or when uh, several of the apostles like Peter or Paul were delivered from prison, from jail. Um, really, any time that, that God's miraculous hand is at work. Okay, we're, we're, getting, we're getting there to maybe the ones that are not as, uh, I don't know, not as scary to some people. Discernment of spirits. Discernment of spirit is probably the ability to distinguish between the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of another kind of spirit, like demonic, or perhaps even the human spirit, right? So this means that maybe you see someone do something or say something, and you have the discernment from God to be able to tell, yeah, this thing that was said was actually from the Spirit, or say, no, actually, I think that this just came from this, this person's heart or spirit, or even say, no, actually, this could be coming from demonic influence. Uh, so, for example, when Paul discerned that Elemas, the magician, was demonically powered, like the things, the miracles that he did, Paul was able to recognize that they were from the enemy. So people with this gift should use it whenever they are in, maybe in an accountability group or in a small group, when, when, they, when there's some counseling going on. I think that one of the one thing that is really difficult to do, and in fact, the Proverbs talk about it, is discerning the hearts of men. And I think that people with this spiritual gift can actually discern the heart of someone. And again, all of this is from God. It is the power of God. Now, the spiritual gift of service. This gift is incredible and it's awesome because it's kind of all-encompassing. Like the spiritual gift of service could mean anything. You could do anything to serve others. From mowing someone's lawn, to helping someone paint their house, to making a pot of coffee, to serving up there in the sound booth. Really, anything that you do, making, making a meal for someone, watching someone's uh, children while they go on a date. I mean, there are so, so many things. Like, your imagination is the limit for this, for this spiritual gift. And this is obviously for the purpose of building up the church. So one of the things that we should be asking ourselves is, okay, how can I serve others? How can I serve the church for their building up? How can I use the skills and the experiences that God has given me for the building up of the body. The spiritual gift of teaching. Teaching is the ability to explain scripture and apply it to people's lives. So it is a repetition and explanation of authentic biblical teaching. So in other words, those with the gift of teaching, they should be teaching what is here in the Bible. You should not be coming up with your own ideas or with your own doctrine or with, with your own teaching, but you should be teaching what is here, what, it has, what has already been entrusted to us. Now, one of the cool things about this gift is that it is not limited to the elders or the pastors of a church. Even though the, the elders of a church have the responsibility to teach, Right? One of the qualifications for elders is that they are able to teach. It doesn't mean that the elders are the only ones who do it. In Titus, it says that the older women should teach the young women. In Timothy, Paul commands Timothy's mother and grandmother because they taught Timothy the scriptures. 
when Apollos, this promising preacher, preaches a little bit off Mark, it is uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila that come together and they, uh, they teach him a better understanding of the doctrine of the gospel. So it, this means that even if you are an elder, sorry, even if you are not an elder, or even if, if so for example, like one of the limitations that, that could be a little bit discouraging is when Paul says that he doesn't allow women to teach in uh, to teach in the church, to exercise authority over men. So maybe women could be like, okay, so I guess, you know, I could be a teacher, but if I'm not allowed to teach, what's the point? Well, the beautiful thing is that there are many other avenues for you to exercise your gift, even if you're not teaching here from up front. You should be able to teach your children at home. You should be able, both, both moms and dads should be able to teach their children at home. You can teach other people in, in a smaller group setting. You can teach other people in a DNA kind of setting. So these are some ways that the spiritual gift of teaching can be used. Now, the spiritual gift of exhortation. The spiritual gift of exhortation, let me just make this quick clarification, is not the spiritual gift of criticism. In fact, there's no such gift. You can, look, you can look in the scriptures, there's no gift of criticism. It is the gift of exhortation. And the word that is used, it's actually a word that has both kind of a positive and, and not necessarily negative, but for the lack of a better word, a negative uh, uh, connotation in the sense that you can either encourage someone or exhort someone. Encourage and exhort is actually the same word. You can encourage someone maybe for something good that they're doing or something good that they did. Or you can exhort someone in more of an admonishment kind of way in which you see certain behavior that maybe could lead to sin or actual sinful behavior. And you, in a loving way, if you have the gift of exhortation, you go and talk to this person and say, hey, dear brother, dear sister, I've noticed this in your life or in your practice, or you know, I saw that you posted this on Facebook or whatever, and say, I want to encourage you to think about what you said or, or think about what you did and, and, you know, come with Scripture and say, I actually believe that this thing that you did is actually against the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or you could also say, hey, brother, I've seen this that you did, and I think that God is using you powerfully through these. So please don't, stoop, do, don't stop doing it. Keep doing it. Keep, keep uh, uh, sharing the gospel with your neighbors. Keep doing whatever it is that you are Doing It is an affirmation of good behavior. Sometimes it can even be when you see someone who is struggling, someone who is down, you can come and cheer him up with the word of God. That is the gift of exhortation. Now, a couple of things that we gather from Scripture. Number one, uh, in Hebrews 3.12, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So exhortation should be a regular thing in the church. It's not an, it's not an esporadic thing. It says exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. Why? Because sin is so deceitful. Sin hardens us. And so if we love our brothers and sisters, we should be encouraging them to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to encourage them towards maturity. Now, another, another principle for this gift is in Galatians 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch of yourself, lest you too be tempted. So if you have to exhort someone else, please, please make sure that you are doing it in a spirit, in a, in a, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. Please make sure that your exhortation is saturated with love. And please keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. This is actually kind of scary. The fact that if you exhort someone about their sin, you could actually be at risk of being tempted and falling 
into the same kind of sin. So whenever you go and exhort someone, make sure that you are firm in your faith. Make sure that you are, like it says here, you who are spiritual. Make sure that you are spiritual. Make sure that you're filled with the Spirit. Make sure that you are doing it in love and in gentleness. This gift can be used, again, in any of the settings that I've already mentioned, in one-on-one meetings, DNA groups where accountability is happening. Uh, if, it's a, if it's an exhortation uh, against sin, please make sure that you do it privately. If it's an exhortation of encouragement of, of good behavior, then it would probably be a good idea to do it in a public setting. But you kind of have to read the person. I know a few people that love to serve and love to remain anonymous. And so for me to say, hey, so-and-so did this, please let us recognize him, it would, it would actually not be that, that uh, loving for them. Okay, so the spiritual gift of help, the spiritual gift of contribution to needs, and the spiritual gift of acts of mercy. We're going to uh, kind of lump these three together. These are... This is a gift of serving others, but serving specifically people who are in need. People who are outcasts or people who are having hardships. So for example, the spiritual gift of help, it could mean sharing the load with someone else. Maybe someone is carrying too heavy of a load, whether it be spiritual or, or in the circumstances in life. And so the one with the spiritual gift of help actually notices that need and comes alongside this person and says, let me help you carry your load. Let me help you, um, you know, for example, like with, with the, the passing away of, of Abigail, I think it was really nice to see how other people came alongside and they have helped them carry the load. How some people came and provided for a trained meal and, and a lot of people came and, and organized, helped organize the funeral And I'm sure that there were many other unseen ways in which people were carrying the load. And so that's what we are called to do as believers. Contribution of needs, it seems to be more financially uh, oriented. So when you see someone that is struggling financially, people with the gift of generosity, they see those needs. They see the needs of people in the church and they give of their finances. They help them financially. They buy them a meal, they, give them a, they write them a check and an encouragement note. This is something that should be happening within the church. We should be helping each other financially. Acts of mercy. These are people that are able to recognize those who are suffering, those who are outcasts, and those who are given a special kind of mercy towards those kinds of people. I think we all can agree that sometimes there are people who are difficult to reach out to, people who are difficult to, to uh, maybe start a conversation to or maybe our flesh is telling us, no, don't go, They're, they look kind of weird or whatever. But the spiritual gift of mercy is the supernatural act of having mercy for someone that otherwise your flesh doesn't deem worthy of mercy. The last two gifts. Gift of leading. It says in Romans 12, 8, that the one who has the gift of leading to do it with diligence or with zeal or eagerness. The gift of leading, I believe, is someone who has the ability to manage something, to be the head of something. I don't believe that this gift is reserved specifically for elders of the church. I believe that, that the elders of the church should be able to identify people with the gift of leading within the church and then put them in charge of a certain ministry of the church. So for example, uh, we have people who are, um, you know, we could appoint someone to be the leader of the audiovisual team and someone to be the leader of the hospitality team, someone to be the leader of the, uh, the prayer team or whatever. Like these are people that have the supernatural ability to lead others. And lastly, the gift of administration, which is found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And originally, I thought that this gift was kind of was more about kind of like a, a, an executive assistant or like a, a bookkeeper or something like that, where, you know, it's just someone really organized. So, oh, yeah, you know, 
because this person is really organized. Let's have them do this particular task of, of administration or organization. But actually looking into it a little bit more, uh, one of the problems is that the word that is used for this gift is only mentioned here in the New Testament. There's nowhere else in the New Testament. But in other, uh, in other Greek literature, we see that the word is for the person who is steering the helm of a boat, of a ship. It is, it's pretty much the captain of a ship. It's someone who is setting the direction of where the ship is going. And so I've been thinking a whole lot about this, especially uh, after, after uh, Nathan left, because I think that we all can agree that even though we, we have always you know, believed in the, in the equality of elders and, and you know, the, the church being led by a team of elders, I think it was always clear that even though we were all equal, there was a first among equals. There was someone who was setting the direction of where we were going. And so there for a moment when, when Nathan left, uh, I was personally feeling a little bit, um, just a little bit out of place. Like, okay, we, you know, Jordan and I, like we have this equality and, and authority as elders, but like, where do we go here? Who, who, who's like setting the direction here? And, and I believe, and this is a, a testimony that I want to share with you, I believe that Nathan was gifted with the spiritual gift of administration. And one of the things that I've learned in, in, in studying the spiritual gifts is that even though the, the Holy Spirit is the one who apportions to each individual as he wills, we are still encouraged to desire the spiritual gifts. We are still encouraged to seek the spiritual gifts. We are encouraged to pray for the spiritual gifts, to fan into flame the spiritual gifts, like Paul tells Timothy, to fan into flame the gift that has been given to him by the laying of hands and praying. And so I was in the middle of, of my study of the spiritual gifts, and I thought, okay, I really believe that I'm lacking in my leadership skills, and I want to grow in this. So I just put into practice what, what I have been teaching, and I prayed and said, God, please, give me the, will, will you give me the gift of leadership? And so I'm not saying this, you know, to say, oh, and look at me now. I'm the best leader out there. But I did feel a change, at least in my mindset, if anything. I did feel a change where I was like, okay, yeah, like this is where God has me right now. Jordan and I are equal in authority. But Jordan has a full-time job at the school. My full-time job is being here, you know, like working with the church. So I felt compelled to, to actually pray for this gift. And I do believe that God is responding or has responded. But again, I still want to continue to grow in this, in this area. But I do believe that it is necessary that we have people with this gift and the team of elders. Because otherwise, you're going to have a church that, yeah, the, the parts might be functioning. The members of the church might be functioning, but the church is kind of going nowhere. You know, it's just walking in different directions. The body is walking in different directions. But when you have people within the leadership team who have the gift of administration, the gift of steering the ship, then you can at least know what direction the church is going. So these are the spiritual gifts or most of the ones that are listed in Scripture. Again, I know that some of these are uh, maybe a little more controversial than others or some of these are, you know, maybe make you feel a little bit uncomfortable when we talk, th when we t when we talk about them. But our goal is to be, to follow the Word of God as closely as possible. And we see in Scripture that these gifts are available. And that these gifts are to be used. They're not just this secondary thing in the Christian life. These are gifts that we all should be using for the building up of the body. Going back to 1 Peter, it says, As each has received a gift, verse 10, use it to serve one another. So remember, every single person has a gift. Every single believer has a gift. We are supposed to use it as good stewards of God's varied grace. We talked about this. Uh, a, a few weeks ago, 
how when we use our spiritual gift, we are dispensing God's grace to our fellow brothers and sisters in the church. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. If you have a gift of speech, like maybe the gift of prophecy or teaching or exhortation, when you do it, utilize your spiritual gift as if you are speaking on behalf of God, as if you are speaking oracles from God. And when you are utilizing a gift of service, like showing hospitality to others or, or a, a, a financial gift or whatever it is that you are serving, make sure that you are doing it by the strength that God supplies. And what is the ultimate purpose of the spiritual gifts? I mean, one, one of the main purposes is the building up of the church. But really, the ultimate, the very, very ultimate end and purpose of the spiritual gifts is that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Do you want to glorify God with your life? Do you want us as a, do we want as a church to glorify God? One of the most practical things that we can do is utilize the spiritual gifts that we have been given. Because when the body of Christ, the church, is functioning, then God is glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God, we praise you. We give you all the glory. We want to glorify you with, with our lives. We want to glorify you as a church. Please give us insight. Give us wisdom into uh, knowing what our spiritual gift is, into knowing how to utilize it. Give us an attitude of service because we know that the world is coming to an end Let us have a bunch of people over to our house. Let us serve others. Let us sacrifice ourselves in order to see our fellow brothers and sisters grow to the stature of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.